You're listening to Mitnick's Monthly Brushstrokes, a podcast on the art of outsmarting, the fun part that sets you apart. I'm Keith Mitnick, author of Don't Eat the Bruises, How to Foil Their Plans to Spoil Your Case. For more information, please visit keithmitnick.com. In this session, I want to talk to you something that I call the panda effect. And it has to do with something we all know, but is so easily forgotten. And with younger lawyers, they may not know it as well as some of us older folks do. We all can use reminders. I have to remind myself. And here's what it is. It has to do with always being aware in a courtroom of the both the power and the pitfalls of the fact that you are constantly under the watchful eye of the jurors. And an awful lot can happen to help or hurt if you lose sight of that. I did an experiment with some of the younger lawyers in our office to make the point. We've got a mock courtroom in our office in Orlando, and I had them sit in the jury box and others in the seats for the audience, but sit still. And I told them, will you give me 30 seconds and do not look at your cell phones? Just look at me and don't do anything else, please. And then I had already pre-set up. One of the lawyers came in, handed me a piece of paper, whispered something to me. I looked at it, laughed and left. Then I said, now, how many of you wonder what we were whispering, what we were talking about? How many of you are wondering what was on the paper? And how many of you wonder what I was laughing at? I said, you know why? Because you're not used to sitting stuck in a seat, staring ahead and unable to read a book, a magazine or fool with your phone. And you're out of sorts and you're looking for entertainment because you're bored to tears, because we don't have downtime, most of us, in life. So what are they going to do when they're bored to tears? They're staring at the only show in town, which is me and the other lawyer and the client. And it's an important lesson. And the reason I call this the panda effect is because my partner, John Morgan, told me one time we were walking down the sidewalk, and everyone knows him. He's a celebrity all over, but particularly in Orlando. And you can't walk a half a block and you're stopped, and he's always stops and is gracious and talks to everyone. And I'm like, goodness gracious, we're never going to get to lunch. And same thing on the way back. And finally, when we got into our office, I said, doesn't that drive you crazy? He goes, Mitnick, it's like you go to the zoo and you see the panda and everyone's pushing to get closer to get pictures of the panda. What if you were walking down the middle of downtown Orlando and suddenly the panda was walking down the sidewalk? Everybody would freak out. My cage is the TV where I do our ads and they're used to seeing me all the time and suddenly the panda's out of the cage and he's walking down the sidewalk and they can't help themselves. And I thought there is a lesson in that because we're the panda, but we're in the cage at the zoo. When we're in court, they're all watching us because we are the show and we need to be mindful of it. So what does that mean? What does it mean under those circumstances? Number one, when the jurors walk in, you don't want to have a big messy table. You messy, the other side's neat. Your shoes are scuffed, the other sides are polished. Right off the bat, one side looks like they know what they're doing and you look sloppy. Here's another one. When the jurors all march in for the beginning of jury selection, what is the person often doing, because I know I'm guilty of it, who's about to do the jury questioning? They got their head down making notes of who's coming in. And you know what they see? The top of your head. That's rude. Whatever you got to do, stop, look up, and greet them with a pleasant face. Another point, 
is when those jurors are in and you start talking, be aware to raise your animation in your voice. I don't mean hamming it up. I mean, you don't want to start out, now my name is and I'm going to be asking you and sound cranky and all business. Remind yourself right before you get up and talk to them to elevate your spirits a little to be pleasant. Good morning, folks. Again, my name's Keith Mitt. I'm going to be asking you some questions. Just a little bit of animation in your voice so it is pleasant, not stern. They're already nervous. And don't whisper in front of them. They hate to be whispered. Do you like to have people whisper knowing they're probably talking about you? I use index cards to communicate. We got 50 of them piled in front of us or 25 or however many. Pass them kind of low, hopefully under a table the jury can't see. If I do whisper, I often will tell them. By the way, he just reminded me I missed one of y'all raised your hand, I need to ask you. You don't want to overdo it, it'll get cutesy, but try to eliminate as much as you can the whispering. Here's another one. This is one I'm still, after 35 plus years of doing this, I still have to work on. Every time I walk into the courtroom, I say this and I say it to myself privately throughout the day. One word, unflappable, because I'm not unflappable. I'm a flapper. I wear my emotions on my sleeves. When the other side's cheating, you look at me and I look at somebody who's pissed off the other side's cheat. So I don't want to be that person flapping like a Christmas turkey. So I say unflappable. That means when you go up to the bench, I'm not racing up. I walk at a reasonable pace. If I'm mad at the other side, the jury is seeing me calm. If the judge looks like he may be gnawing on me at the bench, I walk back head held high, pleasant, calm, in command. Because if not, they think, boy, he's upset. Boy, things are going bad for him. Objections are another important point. We have to be mindful of how objections sound. Think about if you were to say, I object, Your Honor. Prejudice outweighs probative. Well, what's the jury think? Woo, he doesn't want us to hear that one. So say objection 403. They don't know what that is. Or whatever the number is in your jurisdiction for that rule. If they're leading, now look, you got to do all of these strategies with a recognition of your particular judge. There are judges that I'm very careful in my objections because they'll kill you if you add anything to them. But if you have a judge who'll give you a little latitude, feel the difference between this. Objection leading. Well, the jury's just wants the witness to get to the good stuff and doesn't want you interfering and slowing it down. But what if you say instead, objection, Your Honor, you heard my voice. That's, I want to go, objection. That's wrong. Here's how it ought to be. Your Honor, I hate to object, and I've been quiet, but it's going a little too far. The lawyer is suggesting the answer to the witness. Now the juror goes, damn, he is. And now you're not interfering. They understand we need to hear from the witness, not the lawyer telling him what to say. So instead of objection leading, if you have the latitude, objection, the lawyer is suggesting the answer in his question. New opinions. Jurors don't understand you object because their expert has popped up with a brand new opinion. Well, they're like, so what? We want to hear his opinions. So again, if you have a judge that will allow a little bit of a speaking objection, then say, objection, Your Honor. He just came up with that something completely different than he's been telling us all along. You're going to get a wave, come to the bench, and then you'll argue your, your argument that this is trial by ambush. So it's just being mindful of how objections sound in front of the jury because they telegraph a lot. And we're thinking objections and having emotions. We need to always be reminding ourselves they are watching. 
Juror questions, another one. A lot of states allow juror questions now. Well, for goodness sake, if you want to object to jury questions, do not be up there raising hell while the juror, whoever wrote it, seeing you clearly against it. If you got to object, position yourself where the back of your head's to the jury. If the other side's object, position yourself where you can nod. Good question. So they know, hey, he's all for it. So that's a really sensitive one with juror questions. And you got to realize when you're at your table, you're still on stage. They will still watch you. Be careful about whispering. Be careful about your face. Try to be poker-faced. You're never off the stage. Go to the bathroom. When I was a young lawyer, baby lawyer, all my hair, the guy I was training under was a fabulous mentor to me. But we were in a bathroom on a break, and he said to one of the other senior guys, boy, that fat juror on the back row is sleeping. We hear the commode go, and out walks the fat juror on the back road from the closed-in toilet stall. Now, thank goodness we had a friendly judge who removed him for cause. But the point is, I walked out one time at 7 o'clock at night. The jury was left at 5. We stayed late. I came out cursing. I won't say what I said, but it involved the F word. About the other lawyer. And sure as heck, one of our nice, sweet lady jurors was around a big pole waiting on her. Apparently, her husband to pick her up was running late. And I, I fretted the whole rest of the case. It didn't hurt us, but you never know. So constantly be aware of those things. Now, lastly on this, what I call the physicality of it. When you're on direct, you want your client to look at the jury. It's hard for them to look at the jury. And if they do and they're swiveling around, it could look obvious to the jury they're swiveling. So don't be stuck at a podium unless the judge makes you that pushes your witness staring at you out in the middle of the room and the juror's way over over to the right. Take some boxes and stack them on your table or create a made shift place to stand or just stand back behind the jury box if you can and hold whatever your questions are asked. Your witness looks at you and by looking at you, they're looking through the jury. And by the way, if you're having to look for something in your notes, the juror's not seeing you because they're looking the other way at the juror. The opposite is true come cross. Cross-examination, you're the show. Get out in the middle of the room. Redirect. You may be the show if your client needs some help from cross points. Get out in the middle to fix it. So always be aware of where you're located when you're questioning a witness. It can really matter. And lastly, just before we wrap up, opening statement. When I was a young lawyer, I came out rip-roaring like a Southern preacher in opening. And I got some good advice. I said, wasn't that great? And someone said, no, it wasn't too much, too soon. And it stung. It hurt my feelings. I wanted a pat on the back, but they were right. And I've never forgotten it. You should be the voice of reason in opening. Now, there are exceptions, but that's a pretty hard and fast general rule. Closing. I still don't let loose on the front end. I'm toned up a little more, but when I'm on liability, but I bring it down when I'm talking about damages because that is an intimate conversation when you're talking about damages. Rebuttal. If the defense serves up a bunch of deceiving, misleading things, then you have the license to bring it up a little so that you hopefully take some emotional momentum back with the jury. But even then, you don't want to be the loud bully. So in conclusion, please be aware. You know it, but remind yourself. I promise you, you will forget if you don't constantly remind yourself. Have your partners reminding you. Be aware you're being watched. And if you carry yourself right, you'll be listened to because you're the driving force and you're all that stands between the bully on the other side and an unjust result. So let that jury see you're the only worthy guide to the truth. Thank you. 
For more information, please visit keithmitnick.com.